Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today we're going to be reading from my book, The Pesky Kids 4, Near Extinction. Uh, But before we get into it, talking of books, uh, this week... (laughs) Book Depository has closed down, which uh, if you particularly are a fan of the early episodes of the podcast, I have always recommended Book Depository as a place to order my books, particularly if you're not in Australia, because they had all my titles and they had free international shipping. But uh, it took me by surprise when they announced that they're closing this week. Uh, apparently, I didn't realize this, Book Depository was owned by Amazon and I don't know what's going on with their business, but they decided to close Book Depository. Uh, I haven't been able to figure out yet the next best place to recommend. People ask me all the time, people from all around the world, you know, where can I get your books? Where can I get your books? And the thing is, I just live in a small town in Australia. I really have no way of knowing what the best place to get my books is in places like Thailand or Germany. Um, I mean, I've been to America. I've been to bookstores in America. I know how they work, but I don't know how international distribution works all around the world. So um, I'm limited in how much I can help. But um, what I would say is I'm guessing Amazon is going to be the next best bet. Uh, The reason I didn't used to recommend Amazon was because several years ago, uh, when my books were harder to get overseas, there were people who were gouging young fans on Amazon who were selling uh, copies of the Australian editions for like $60 or $80. And I wasn't too impressed with that. So that's why I had been recommending Book Depository. But that was several years ago now. So I'm going to look into it. I will try and figure out what the best place is to um, order books if you're overseas. And then I, um, when I figure that out, I will put up a badge on my website, raspratt.com. So hopefully um, we'll get our heads around that soon. But it always takes like about a day or two to figure these things out and then figure out how to put the badge on the website and do all that sort of stuff. So knowing me, because I'm always insanely busy looking after my family and doing the podcast and writing all the books my publisher wants me to write, it's probably going to take me a few weeks to figure that all out. So anyway, bear with me. I will be able to recommend an international bookseller hopefully soon. If you're in Australia, though, and you don't have a local bookstore in your town, I can confidently recommend Booktopia, who delivers all around Australia. Okay, they don't deliver internationally. So try Amazon, in short. Now, I don't know if you could hear that. That's my dog scratching at the door. So I'm just going to pause things now, let the dog in, and then we'll get into the story. Okay, so Stanley is in the room now. He's curled up in his armchair and we can get into it. So we're up to chapter 22, Leave It to the Experts. So just so you know, this is uh, the children on the excursion out at the dinosaur park and some mechanics have just turned up. So that's where we're picking it back up. Here we go. Help has arrived, announced Mr Lang. The students would have cheered, except they were too tired to care much. 
I don't want to spend the rest of my night out here babysitting you lot, continued Mr. Lang. So stay out of the way of the mechanics. Let them get on with their job. Hopefully we'll be back on the bus and on our way to Currawong soon. Oh, should I go help? asked Neil. No, said Mr. Lang firmly. Leave it to the experts. It's an old diesel engine, said Neil. I know about those. Neil, said Mr. Lang. I appreciate your desire to be useful, but this isn't a class group project. We want to get home as quickly as possible. Professional mechanics will not want a child helping them. Neil didn't say any more. He was embarrassed. But Neil also wanted to get home to his nan. He'd never been away from home for the night before. Unlike April, however, Neil was not one for confrontation. He just waited until Mr Lang turned away, then disappeared into the shadows and made his way over towards the bus. You might as well all go back to sleep, said Mr Lang, addressing the rest of the students. I'll wake you when the bus is ready to go. Several kids were lying down and drifting off already. Indeed, Kieran had never woken up in the first place. He was a deep sleeper, probably because he wasn't a deep thinker. He wasn't the type to lie awake replaying conversations in his head. Mr Lang went and lay down himself. If he was going to drive a bus full of kids back to Currawong in the pitch dark, he would need as much rest as he could get. The only person still standing in the clearing was April. She was looking all around. Pumpkin? Come on, boy, where are you? She heard the tinkle of his name tag against his collar. He was over by the bus. April whistled, but the dog did not come. This wasn't really a surprise. She had never trained him to come. She thought it would be demeaning for the dog. She certainly wouldn't come if someone whistled for her, except perhaps to attack them for being insulting. April trudged over to the car park. She could see Pumpkin now. He was sniffing around the mechanic's car. Get away from there, said April. Don't pee on their car, at least not until after they've fixed the bus. But the mechanics had left the back door open, and Pumpkin had found a slew of fast food wrappers. He was snuffling through them, optimistically searching for snacks. April looked into the car. There was only a single bulb in the car park light, but she could see the inside of the sedan was a mess of wrappers and blankets. Looks like someone's been living in this car, said April. Pumpkin leapt onto the back seat and pushed his nose under a discarded jacket, where he uncovered a half-eaten sausage roll. Pumpkin was ecstatic. But April barely noticed. She was looking at what was underneath that jacket. Two ski masks and a blowtorch. That's suspicious. April strode over to the bus. The bonnet was open and a light was hanging from the underside, but there was no sign of the mechanics. Neil was standing on a milk crate using the mechanics' tools to make adjustments to the engine. Where are the mechanics? demanded April. Neil looked up. He had oil over his hands and much of his face as well. He just shrugged. He was never chatty at the best of times, but being spoken to by the love of his life made him even more inarticulate. April looked around the side of the bus. Ah, there they are, said April. Georgia was strapping the T-Rex to the top of the bus using ratchet tie-downs, while Bruce was readying an electric jigsaw. April drew breath to yell at them, just as Bruce switched on the saw. It was a deafening noise. She could see his arms vibrating as he used it to cut a hole in the belly of the T-Rex. It looked like hard work. The fibreglass cut slowly. His arms were shaking. The T-Rex was shaking. What's going on? Joe yelled. April could only just hear him above the sound of the jigsaw. She looked up to see Joe standing on the roof of the bus, near the spot where Finn's head was stuck. Finn was awake now, his arms in the dinosaur's mouth as well, as he tried to shield his ears with his hands. Just then the jigsaw stopped, and a circle of fibreglass the size of a dinner plate fell off the T-Rex statue. What on earth are you doing? demanded April. Bruce looked up. Go back to the fire, snapped Georgia. We're sorting it out.
I may not know a lot about bus engines, said April, but even I know vandalising a dinosaur statue is not the way to fix them. Get out of here, kid, yelled Bruce. His tattoo-covered muscles bulged as he clutched the jigsaw. No, said April, you can't make me. She crossed her arms and glared. She made this pronouncement frequently, sometimes several times a day, and it always worked on teenagers or propriety-conscious teaching staff. It did not work today. Bruce dropped the jigsaw, grabbed April by the collar, and pulled her into a headlock. Hey, said Joe, scrambling down from the roof of the bus. April did the thing all girls do in movies. She screamed, Let me go! She also swung her legs about, kicking at Bruce with stomping backswings. But she only weighed 50 kilos, and Bruce would have been double that, and most of it muscle. Plus, she was dangling in the air, so she didn't have any real purchase. She couldn't get in a good kick. Joe rushed forward to help, but Georgia scooped up the jigsaw and threatened him with it. Stay back! Just then, Pumpkin finished his half-sausage roll and trotted over to see what was going on. Perhaps more sausage rolls. He was horrified to see his mistress struggling with a large man. He must rescue her. The little dog launched himself, teeth first, at Bruce's bottom. Ah! screamed Bruce. But that first scream was nothing. When Bruce shook his butt from side to side trying to dislodge Pumpkin, the dog sank his teeth in deeper. Soon Bruce was bellowing, in true Tarzan style. Be quiet, snapped Georgia. She reached back with one hand, grabbed Pumpkin and shoved him through a window of the bus. Pumpkin barked wildly from inside. Let me go, demanded April. Shut her up too, snapped Georgia. Bruce clapped his hand over April's mouth. She bit it hard, which was disgusting because Bruce had been working on engines and with power tools, so his hands were covered in dirt and motor oil. Bruce wanted to scream out again, but he knew he shouldn't. He clenched his teeth and screwed up his face as he tried to get his eyes to stop watering. Georgia had stuck her head in the dinosaur's abdomen. She turned on a torch to light up the inside. It's there, but it's caught on something up in the neck, said Georgia. I'll have to go and get it. She reached in with one arm but she couldn't get her shoulders all the way through. The hole's not big enough. Georgia picked up the jigsaw ready to enlarge the hole, but when she flicked it on, the motor buzzed for a moment, then slowly wound down to a stop. Georgia hit it a couple of times and tried again. The motor whirred for a second, but the blade didn't even move. Did you charge the battery? asked Georgia. I thought you were going to do it, said Bruce. Is everything all right over there? It was Mr Lang calling out from the other side of the bus. Mr. Joe tried to stammer for help. Shut it, hissed Bruce. He grabbed a spanner and held it threateningly near April's head. Joe fell silent. Georgia stepped out around the side of the bus so Mr. Lang could see only her. Yeah, we're fine. Nearly got it all sorted, called Georgia. You relax over by the fire. We'll call you when we're ready. Okay, said Mr. Lang. They heard him trudge away. Shove the girl in the dinosaur, ordered Georgia as she came back around. She's small enough. Bruce did not have to be told twice. April was still biting his hand and kicking him. He'd be glad to get rid of her. He took her to the opening and shoved her headfirst into the dinosaur. What are you doing, demanded April. Let me out of here. Her voice was muffled now. We'll let you out and let everyone go safe as houses, said Georgia. All you have to do is climb up into the dinosaur's neck and get the package that's up there. What, said April? Just do it, April, pleaded Joe. So they go away. But of course, April never did what she was told, not even when someone asked nicely. Why do you have a package in the dinosaur in the middle of nowhere, asked April. Mind your own business and get it for us, ordered Georgia. 
That is a contradictory request, said April. I can't mind my own business and take care of your business. What you mean to say is shut up and get it for us. Fine, shut up and get it for us, said Georgia. If she'd been able to get her hands on April, Georgia would have loved to have throttled her. They heard April clambering up the inside of the dinosaur. What's happening? asked Finn in an overly loud voice. It's all right, Joe called up to him. We'll have you out soon. Joe, are you there? asked Finn. Yeah, I'm right here, said Joe. Joe, where are you? asked Finn. I can't hear anything. My ears are ringing so loud. The jigsaw had been loud in the desert, but it had been deafening inside the dinosaur. Everything's going to be okay, yelled Joe. Joe, are you there? asked Finn. Get him to shut up, urged Georgia, or he'll wake up the teacher again. Joe climbed back on... on Joe climbed back up on top of the bus and put his arm around Finn's shoulders. It's okay, he said. Joe, asked Finn loudly, is that you? Yes, said Joe. I can't hear you, said Finn, but I can smell you and you don't smell as good as Loretta or even April. I know, said Joe, it isn't easy being a 15-year-old boy. I've got it, cried April from inside the dinosaur. Hand it out, ordered Georgia. They heard tape ripping. Don't open it, cried Georgia. Hey, said April, this is jewellery. What do you two want with a big bag of jewellery? Hey, this is stolen property, isn't it? I don't believe your mechanics at all. Give it to me now, yelled Georgia. Suddenly, the engine of the bus roared to life, revving a couple of times. It sounded better than you. It was running much more smoothly. Got the engine going, Neil called. He was leaning out one of the bus's side windows. You got the bus going? Well done, Mr Lang called from the opposite side of the bus. What are we going to do, asked Bruce. Get out of here, said Georgia. Quick. Georgia sprinted to the bus door. Neil was just opening it with the manual lever. Georgia pushed past him and jumped into the driver's seat. Bruce jumped onto the steps as Georgia pulled the bus in gear and started to drive away. Hey, said Neil. This is your stop, kid, said Bruce, shoving him hard in the chest. So Neil toppled backwards and fell out the door onto the dirt. The door snapped shut as the bus pulled out onto the road. The dinosaur still strapped to the roof, its tail dragging along the bitumen as the bus ground its way up through the gears, trying to get to its top speed, which admittedly was not even 60 kilometres per hour. Okay, well, that was the end of chapter 22, but let's keep reading. Uh, Moving on to chapter 23, Reunited. And just to remind you, we're now cut into the other storyline with Dad and Ingrid in the secret prison. Dad stood and stared at Mum. She looked totally different. She was so lean and wiry. She dropped to the floor and started doing push-ups. Her biceps bulged. Dad wasn't sure he could do even one push-up. He definitely knew he didn't want to do one push-up. Mum was on her feet again, doing air squats now. She was looking right at him, but obviously couldn't see him. The window must be one-way glass. Thank goodness. The guards would be alarmed if another unfamiliar guard was standing staring at a prisoner with tears slowly dripping down his face. She turned away to do pull-ups again. Dad wiped his eyes and blew his nose on a handkerchief. He had to pretend to be a prison guard, and he was sure that guards did not blubber like watering pots. Dad took out the passkey attached to his belt and ran it through the reader next to the door. There was a beep and a click as the door unlocked. Dad stepped through into the exercise yard. Mum turned around mid-pull-up and saw him. Her face did not betray any recognition, but she must have been shocked because she pulled herself up so hard that she slammed the top of her head into the metal bars of the window. Dad turned to the two guards watching her. 
I must escort the prisoner to the interrogation room, he said in clipped Russian. The guards did not have any questions. Dad realised he made an authentic-looking Russian. It was probably the beard. One guard pointed a taser at Mum, while the other guard put her back in wrist and leg shackles. Once she was safely contained, Dad stepped forward, took Mum by the elbow, and led her out of the small exercise yard, slowing his steps to her shuffling pace. They walked side by side up three flights of stairs. It's hard to climb stairs quickly when your ankles are chained together. If you want to get a sense of how hard, go to a discount department store where the shoes are all tied together with zip ties. Try some on, then try running in them as if you were escaping from armed terrorists. You'll appreciate the difficulty of the situation. There was so much adrenaline coursing through Dad's veins, screaming at him to run, 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 but he couldn't. He had to walk slowly and unsuspiciously, as if he had every right to be there leading his wife through a maximum security prison. Why are you here? Mum whispered. Her lips barely moved. Dad was not sure if it was her who spoke at first, or just his own thoughts in his mind. We got your message from Svetlana, said Dad. But the message was not to come here, said Mum. No, but, said Dad. He wasn't entirely sure how the decision had been made for this rescue mission. What's the exit strategy, asked Mum. Ah, said Dad. There isn't one, at least. Not that I know of. No matter, said Mum. I can get us out of here. We'll go out through the sewerage system. There are pipes that lead out to the river. The water is sub-zero and there is a waterfall 200 metres downstream. And obviously there's sewerage pipes, so there will be a lot of excrement. But they'll never expect us to go out that way. Turn left into the next corridor. That will take us to the main toilet block off the dining hall. No, said Dad, overly loudly, his voice echoing about the stairwell. Shh, hissed Mum. I can't leave, said Dad, in a quieter whisper. Not without Ingrid. I'm not leaving her behind. Ingrid, said Mum. She knew who Ingrid was. The interrogator at the prison had shown her a photograph when he tried to break her down and reveal all her secrets. Nothing angers a middle-aged mother of three more than seeing a photograph of the stunningly beautiful 28-year-old Nordic goddess that her ex-husband is living with. I'm not leaving her behind, said Dad. She did all this. She got us in here. I can't abandon her. Mum shook her head at Dad's naivete. She won't mind, Harold, said Mum. She's a professional operative. She's trained for this. Her mission was to get me out. I'm a senior operative with vital information. I am a greater asset. If I get out and she's still trapped, the mission is still a success. Dad's forehead crumpled with confusion. But this isn't a mission, said Dad. This is just us, trying to rescue you. Ingrid arranged it all. Now I'm staying to help her. You don't know what you're talking about, Harold, said Mum. You're not from this world. Maynard will take care of this. It isn't your concern. Dad shook his head. Oh, Maynard won't help any of us. She didn't want us to help you. Mum looked at her perpetually confused former husband. She was an expert at telling if someone was lying, but it was harder to tell if someone had no idea what they were talking about. Trust in Maynard was the bedrock of her operational practice. If she couldn't trust Maynard then she was all alone. A rogue operative with apparently no one to help her except her psychologically scarred husband and a Swedish au pair. Mum nodded. Fine, you better take me to the interrogation rooms then. If she's been captured, then that's where she'll be. They'll be trying to break her while she's disorientated. How good are you at acting, Harold? Oh, terrible, said Dad. Hmm, said Mum. Well, you're going to have to turn that around in the next three minutes. You're about to put on an Academy Award-worthy performance. Ingrid was not happy. 
No one had started torturing her yet, but she was pretty sure that was just because it was late at night and they had to get the torturer on call to come back to the prison and work overtime. In her opinion, the poorly designed metal chair she was being forced to sit on was torture enough. Absolutely no lumbar support and such an unpleasant grey colour. This prison really could learn a lot from Scandinavian design. You can be minimalist and still pleasant. She was pretty sure the interrogator talking to her was some sort of work experience interrogator. He seemed very young and unsure of himself. He kept glancing at his notes all the time. Perhaps all the experienced interrogators were away at a conference. Or perhaps this incompetent interrogator was a strategy to lull her into a false sense of security. She must stay alert. The steel door flung open. A short, wiry prisoner was shoved into the room, and a guard followed her, yelling in Russian. It took Ingrid's brain a second to process that this angry Russian was, in fact, Dad. You are collaborating with 24601, accused Dad, pounding his fist on the table. Do not deny it! Tell me who you work for, and your death will be swift! Dad lunged forward and grabbed Ingrid by the neck. The work experience interrogator was shocked. He started to get to his feet, but he didn't get far. He was so busy watching Dad wrestle Ingrid to the ground that he didn't notice Mum's foot flying towards the back of his head. If her foot hitting his occipital bone didn't knock him out, then the blow to his forehead when it slammed into the table certainly did. Meanwhile, on the floor, Dad wasn't wrestling with Ingrid. He was wrestling with her handcuffs as he struggled to set her free with his shaking fingers. Hurry up, ordered Mum, as she slid the work experience interrogator to the ground. I've got the handcuffs off, said Dad, but she's handcuffed to the chair as well. Oh, that's my fault, said Mum. They started doing that because I choked out too many interrogators. Ingrid got to her feet and grabbed the chair. It had been bent over backwards when Dad tackled her to the ground. She gripped tightly and ripped the bolts out of the floor. The chair was still handcuffed to her wrist, but she held it easily in one hand. Let's go, said Ingrid. And that is the end of the chapter, so we'll leave it there. Until next time, goodbye.